Welcome to my podcast, Discover the Hidden Potential of Your Mind. And for today's episode, I'm lucky enough again to have a conversation partner. My name is Angelica. And I'm Tia. And Tia is my daughter, which allows us to discuss a topic from the standpoint of two different generations. Our episode today is based on the blog called Can I Come In With My New Girlfriend? And that article was inspired by a long-term client of mine, a truly lovely guy, smart and warm, who I've coached over the years through different personal and professional challenges. And he asked me if he could come in with his new girlfriend of one month. And I was really pleased to hear that. And his girlfriend was thrilled as well. And why was she so happy? Because there is a man who's aware of the importance of working on himself and on the relationship from the very start. I don't think she had ever come across a man who was this conscious. He knows himself. He knows he wants to get it right this time around. Because, of course, both he and his partner have had, like most of us above a certain age, previous relationship experiences, which were painful. And they both recognize the importance of getting to know each other well and of navigating potential pitfalls with awareness. Isn't it a little weird for a couple to come in so early in their relationship? It's before any problems had any time to arise between them. Well, I wouldn't say it's weird, but it's unusual for sure. Because most of my clients come in when there is a crisis and when they have already been struggling for a while. And there's still that misconception that you only see a coach or a therapist when you have serious problems. And that's why I was so happy to see them come in so early. And you might not want to come in after a month of being a couple, but I would certainly like to see other couples come in during the first six or 12 months of their relationship before any differences that we all have even become big issues. Because the honeymoon period of a relationship lasts approximately from a couple of months to two years. And during that period, we naturally focus on what we have in common, what we love and appreciate, appreciate about each other. But that period slowly gives way to a more challenging stage. That's kind of depressing that you don't keep that same excitement forever. Um, actually, I don't see it that way. The honeymoon period is not supposed to last it's supposed to bring us together. It's nature's way of bringing us together. And if we navigate well through the next stage of a relationship, the challenging period, our reward is a more mature love stage. And during that mature love stage, the issues won't stop, of course. In fact, as we navigate through life, life happens, life changes occur, and they always um, bring challenges with them. But if we have learned how to be a team working together through challenges, we can navigate life completely differently. Well, I know that relationships require work, but often it feels like that work comes along with resentment or harboring ill feelings too. Hmm. Yeah, resentment breeds when we sweep things under the carpet. That's my perspective. When we don't express our needs, when we don't communicate regularly about more vulnerable topics. Relationships require maintenance. Um, I wrote another article the other day comparing a relationship to a tandem bike. Or you can compare it to a car if you're not a bike person. But to stay in line with that analogy, what if we didn't wait 
until the path we're traveling on has so many potholes that our relationship car or relationship bike is in acute danger of breaking down on this road. What if we committed from the start to doing regular maintenance on the relationship? I came across a nice quote the other day by uh, Carol Bryant, if I'm saying her name right. The quote was, love is a two-way street constantly under construction. I'm just picturing a street with only one of the lanes working for two directions of traffic because of construction and a construction worker holding uh, a sign saying stop on one side and slow on the other that like lets traffic through one at a time like one direction at a time Mm -hmm. yes so I shared this quote with another client and she actually felt that it was really positive because it makes it okay that we are working on stuff it makes it okay that things are under construction or like you said it that things are slowed down somewhere uh, or, there, or there's just one-way traffic for a while. Uh, but it also has the hope for the future because construction also gets better. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that we can do to increase the odds of having a successful relationship? Well, um, different religious affiliations offer premarital counseling or marriage classes prior to making a commitment to get married Mm -hmm. and I'm sure some of those sessions are more helpful than others also counseling offered by a church might not be a consideration for all couples it depends on one's spirituality and couples also often have known each other for quite a while before they get married or they decide not to get married but relationship coaching from the start of a relationship is an alternative independent of your religious affiliation It helps both partners to learn to communicate about challenging topics and to learn to hold each other when we experience vulnerable moments. Coaching allows us to become aware of relationship patterns and to release them. And relationship sessions enhance any relationship and help us to be able to be our best self in our long-term relationship or marriage. So what can you do so early on? When you're just together and you're having fun and feeling good about everything, why would you want to come in? If you don't have any problems, wouldn't you be creating more by getting coaching? (laughs) Well, that's where we need a shift of perspective. Just as we don't go to the doctor when only when there's an issue, when we're sick, but we also go for regular checkups, we might want to do the same with our relationship. So coaching is not just about fixing problems, but about avoiding issues about being able to live the best relationship possible. Hmm. And there are actually a lot of topics to explore right from the start. And you can discuss lots of them without a coach as well when you're a couple. What kind of questions might you ask in a relationship coaching session at the start of your relationship? Well, the first topic that comes to mind, because it's super important, is to talk about values. What are my top values in life? What are my partner's? Because values are basically how we tick. And values do sometimes shift and change throughout our life as we have certain experiences. But if we expect our partner to change their values, we're making a big mistake. Or sometimes we assume they have the same values, 
but a value that is maybe my number one might just be their number five or their number 10, and that might not be enough overlap in the end. So it helps to take a test and determine one's top five or top 10 values. Can you give me an example? Sure. Let's say both partners have financial stability as one of their values. But buying a house and investing money is the number one priority for one partner. Mm -hmm. While the other partner likes that and wants that, but also has the value of freedom and adventure, maybe likes to travel and so on. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's actually their number one. So while buying a house or investing money is only their number five or six, well, in an ideal world, we have enough money to do both. But in reality, we often have to make choices and compromises. Mm -hmm. Now, in that scenario, it might still be possible to work out a compromise. But there are other values which clash so much that it might not be possible to work something out. Let's say one partner's value is honesty and having no secrets, but the other person values their privacy and secrets. That does not go together well. And there are needs and values which can be a must-have, a deal-breaker. Let's say one person wants children, the other one doesn't. That's definitely a deal-breaker then, right? Yeah. That's a value we couldn't compromise either way. Neither the person who wants children could compromise in giving that up, nor the person who really doesn't want children should be changing and giving that up. That mm -hmm. will definitely down the road cause huge problems. And maybe personally to share that, my top value is relationships. I'm a relationship coach <laughs> after all. So I would never want to be with a partner who's not willing to do the relationship work, which is required. What about yourself? I think that somebody's ability to care and put their all into things is super important to me. As much as everybody has times when they just want to laze around, if you're not enthusiastic or at least put effort into your commitments, it really bothers me. So I guess that can be expressed through the idea of achievements, since usually the effort you put into something comes back to you in the form of achievements. Right. And the biggest mistake... I've already said that, but I have to say it one more time. You can ever make us to think your partner will change his or her values. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I feel like a lot of people, especially women, fall into that thought at the beginning of a relationship where, like, they can change their partner. They'll yeah. come along and save them or No, we whatever. can't change our partners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what other topics can you or should you talk about? All right. Another topic... Um, is we can examine beliefs and fears we have learned based mm -hmm. on our family history and our past relationship history. That makes sense, because that's where all of our learned fears would be coming from. What would we do with those? We can use belief change techniques to shift beliefs. Uh, but even already knowing and understanding why my partner has certain fears and beliefs makes a big difference. Mm. Another great topic is how we express affection. What is my primary love language? What's my partner's? And that goes back to a book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. Often people misunderstand each other because they have different primary love languages. What are those love languages again? The 
first one would be words of affirmation. That means when um, I like to hear, I'm proud of you, you look beautiful today, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Another one is acts of service. For example, you cook for me, I'm over lawn for you, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, a third one is quality time, spending quality time together. A third one, uh, sorry, the fourth one would be touch. Okay. And the fifth one is gifts, giving mm. and receiving gifts. Do you know what your primary love language is? I think it's probably touch because I'm a big cuddler and hugger, especially when I don't know what to say or like when I'm really upset, what always helps is just like getting a nice hug. <laughs> right, right. And I know my primary love language is words of affirmation. That's a, a big one for me. And when we can figure out what is our primary love language, what is our partner's, we can also learn to speak via the love language because mm. that's the beauty of this. It's just a language that we can learn. So another topic is um, conflicts. Relationships also mean we will have conflicts. Mm -hmm. And it's useful to understand how do I tend to handle conflict and how about my partner? Yeah. Because... Um, that's very important if we have very different conflict strategies mm. or one or both of us avoid conflicts. <laughs> that's not handling conflicts, avoiding. Oh, okay. It means I don't handle conflicts very well. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So part of how we end up having conflicts can be that we're being emotionally triggered. Yeah. So another topic would be, do I know what my emotional triggers are and can I share them with my partner? Can you give me some examples of emotional triggers again? Sure. Um, those emotional triggers can be small, like um, my partner rolls their eyes or sighs. Mm -hmm. That could trigger me into feeling like a burden or a nuisance or unsupported. Or it might be the tone of their voice, like a raised voice. Or a suffering voice. Perhaps that tone reminds me of one of my parents or caretakers and puts me into fear mode or into feeling impatient. Or a certain behavior like my partner retreats and I'm triggered into feeling abandoned. So even just specific actions, even if they're not attended to come across that way, can, cer can cause certain emotions to just come up? Absolutely. This is not something conscious. Uh, these triggers are very subconscious your partner certainly is not rolling their eyes or sighing in order to trigger you <laughs> um, but that little expression can trigger something for you because it's connected to something way earlier from childhood mm -hmm. and once we're emotionally triggered then we're not um, communicating so well with each other anymore mm -hmm. another good topic is um, what support do we both hope to get from each other? For example, what emotional support, but also what practical support or perhaps what financial support. And um, if a partner is not sure they can give the support, what is actually a deal breaker for me? Or where can we learn to be more supportive? For example, learn to acknowledge each other's feelings. Like emotional support is very important to me personally mm -hmm. um, and as long as my partner would be willing to learn mm. to give that wonderful 
if not, that could be a deal breaker, somebody who's not willing to do that. For other people, it might be the financial support or the practical mm -hmm. support or all three of them, actually. Mm -hmm. Well, when you commit to a relationship, you're also committing to supporting each other. Right. Mm. But we need to be clear what that means. Mm. So um, what does it mean to each of us to commit to a relationship? That's another good topic. Yeah. What does loyalty mean? What type of relationship do we want to live together? And often our expectations and hopes are unconscious based on what we have experienced in the past. So another topic is, what did our own parents model for us concerning love and a long-term relationship or marriage? So what you grew up around is your idea of what love and relationship structures are? That's right. Mm -hmm. That could lead us into discussing gender-specific expectations, maybe from what we've watched growing up, or into how we... Um, divide the work up in and around the house or what functions that's, does each of us have within the family unit um, or did our parents model productive arguments mm. did they model good conflict uh, strategies <laughs> did they model expressing affection did they model successful communication and so on mm. so um, the models we had in childhood are important they affect us we might also want to ask what attracted me to my partner and who do I believe my partner will help me to be when we're attracted we usually have a vision perhaps I'm attracted to my partner's optimism and I'm hoping he or she will help to stay more positive can you think of something else they're outgoing and have a large circle of friends so they'll encourage me to be more social right Good. Or I envision my partner will support me with my career. Mm. And that brings us to a related topic, goals. <laughs> what personal and professional goals do we both hope to achieve? And how do we see the partner's role in that? But life is not all about work. So how are we planning to create a life-work balance is mm. another topic. Uh, because there's only so much free time in a week. So another question might also be, What is a comfortable balance for spending time with my partner and with other people? Mm -hmm. Maybe one person needs more time together than the other. So we should also talk about needs. What are my top 10 needs? What are my partners? How comfortable am I expressing my needs? And I find it challenging to, if I find it challenging to express my needs, we can work on that. And we can change beliefs around it, not being okay to have needs and so on. What are some examples of needs that people need to have met? Um, there's lots of needs, of course, we could look into, um, needs of the individual. With couples, I often start with a needs questionnaire by Villard Harley because it gives us some ideas of, of typical needs couples have, uh, for example, the need for affection, the need for intimate conversation, the need for sexual fulfillment, the need for recreational companionship, the need for honesty, openness, financial support, um, domestic support. I think I forgot a couple, but anyways, there's about 10 needs in that questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And that need questionnaire can then lead us into exploring Also, who will take care um, of what responsibilities at home? 
mm-hmm. a super important topic because so many fights originate from it is money. Mm. Yeah. How do we feel about differences in financial income, mm, joint accounts? How do we feel about debt? Mm, what's our attitude towards keeping a budget, having spending money, paying bills, completing, in, completing the income tax, perhaps financially supporting parents or previous children and so on. It sounds like there's a lot to sort out around money. And it's also just such a large stressor in people's minds. If you have different ways of dealing with all those factors, it can probably cause a lot of problems. I hadn't even thought of supporting children or parents. Yes, parents and in-laws is another topic. Mm. How much time do we spend with family? Do we go on vacation together, spend all holidays with family or not? What boundaries with regards to family interactions do we both need? Mm-hmm. How do we show up as a team with third parties, especially with maybe challenging family members mm-hmm. that um, are a challenge for our relationship? And then parenting is, of course, an important topic, and that includes common children, whether we have them already or not, and or stepchildren, whether there are any or not. Um, so when we talk about parents, parenting, where do we have overlapping ideas? Where do we differ? How are we going to handle differences? And the differences can be really big, too. How can a couple even begin to handle those? With a lot of talking and making the commitment that the primary bond, the primary energy needs to go between the couple. It's not okay to bond with one of the children against the partner, for example. Mm. Children are very smart when it comes to playing parents against each other. And we might also want to talk about how to raise the kids when it comes to religion and spirituality. True, that can clash really easily too. So what are our beliefs and practices where are the differences and can we tolerate, be tolerant of each other's differences? Another topic full of pitfalls is physical intimacy and sex. Do we as a couple perhaps need to learn to talk about the sensitive topic better? What are our hopes and expectations of that whole area? And closely related to that topic could be the topic of infidelity and affairs. Mm-hmm. How do we both feel about monogamy? Can we both commit to talking to our partner when we experience an attraction to somebody else? Because that actually strengthens the bond between us and helps to avoid sliding across the line with an outsider. All assuming we've committed to monogamy. But if we speak to an outsider, it actually creates a bond with that outsider instead of with me and my between me and my partner where do you it's an interesting question as to where different couples draw the line between what's cheating and what's not right so that that really needs to be talked about um because an emotional bond is already mm-hmm. a, an affair and could already be a betrayal right so um why not talk about this from the start Another useful commitment if we decide to have a monogamous relationship is can we also commit to not talking to a person who's not a friend of the marriage about our relationship problems Mm. because that builds a bond outside of our relationship again. 
What does a friend of the marriage mean? A friend of the marriage would be somebody who really fully supports our relationship or marriage and wants us to succeed. Mm. So that means a colleague or a friend who's in an unhappy marriage themselves might not be the right person. They are mm. probably not a friend of our marriage. Or a mother or father or other family member who does not like my spouse <laughs> is also not a friend of the marriage, right? That's a really good point. But uh, for more information and to learn more about what that means, um, our uh, listeners can also check out the blog series Affairs. Mm. So we've really just briefly touched on all those topics. There's so many topics. I feel we could have said so much more with each topic. Um, so I would like to encourage you today to take any of these topics and discuss them with your partner because what we've done today is we've really just scratched the surface right we've just um, touched on each topic very briefly how can people get in contact with you if they want to work with you in person or through skype well i work with individuals or with couples and i also teach workshops and people can contact me either by picking up the phone, obviously, 905-286-9466, or emailing me to greendoorrelaxation at yahoo.ca. I also encourage you to check out my other blog articles, um, the other podcast recordings, lots of relationship topics there. And right now I'm also in the process of putting a relationship book together from the best articles I've got on the topic. Very exciting. All right. So until next time, I hope you're going to do this with me again next time, Tia. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.